Well, what's up? Uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, just reintroduced a intro song to this podcast just for the hell of it. Um, spice things up a little bit. Um, for those wondering, I am home alone on Thanksgiving. I have experienced a resurgence of hand, foot, and mouth disease, which I caught from my little girls a couple weeks back. Went away for a few days, and a couple days ago, these spots came back, and it's been quite annoying. But anyway, I sent my wife and kids up to spend the holiday with family, and here I am. So I thought, let's let's have a little more uh, fun with these podcasts and, and up the frequency and chat a little more. So this one's not so much about a real-world event or something in the news that's happened in the last day or two. It's not about the Rittenhouse case, which has dominated the episodes lately. Um, wanted to talk about something that has been on my mind, um, an idea for an episode, an idea for discussion, excuse me, because... Um, you know, I started this as kind of a way to talk about how language has altered and warped the way that we communicate as people, not just politically, but in everything, culturally, socially, um, because that's my background. And that was also the background of my buddy on this show, who will be rejoining us in a couple of weeks. Um, my, my buddy, Mike, we were both linguists. And so we really found the studying of language and how it's used in political speak, um, the way it's employed to impress upon folks a particular opinion or to drive a narrative or to more or less uh, shape public opinion, which is nothing revelatory, but um, you know, we wanted to talk a little more about the language aspect of it and really what it's turned out to be, uh, this show that is, is more or less just a shoot the shit kind of stuff, uh, shoot the shit discussion about relevant real world events. And that's fine. We, uh, when Mike and I started this, we always plan to just kind of let it flow naturally and have a conversation and see where it goes. Um, but if I may, I'd like to kind of take it back a little bit to uh, a couple examples that we may or may not have touched on some of these just in the course of our conversations in past episodes. But I wanted to speak about two particularly controversial subjects that tend to immediately set a wall between people, um, that immediately divide folks into one of two teams, mirroring the way that our politics works. Um, <clears throat> and you know, everyone's guilty of that kind of thing. Like you see something about a person, or you, you hear them say something, or watch them do something, or even see what kind of car they drive. And these days you can't help but say, oh, that person drives a, a big wheel truck and they must be a, a Republican or that person drives a Prius and they must be <clears throat> a liberal. And while that might hold true pretty often, those two um, assumptions about people, you know, we know that's not always the case. There's exceptions to everything. But having some conversations with Mike and just talking to friends about some things and my experiences in the past, I, I remembered a, an event. Um, I was a guest at a wedding about 10 years ago in DC. This is before I moved to the area. It's before I moved to DC and eventually settled in Northern Virginia. I was still in the army at the time, but I was a, a date for a wedding. And the girl I was hanging out with that weekend as her date, I got in like, you know, the night before we went out to eat in DC 
I don't remember if we actually saw a Chick-fil-A or not, or if there was an ad. I don't know if there was even a Chick-fil-A in DC at the time, or if there's even one now. Um, all I know is that there were, the topic of Chick-fil-A came up and she said, yeah, I don't like Chick-fil-A. And she said it in a way that you know seemed to go beyond the food. And even though I was stationed at the time in the South, I myself had not had Chick-fil-A very often. Um, and so I, I just didn't really know or experience it much myself to develop much of an opinion about it. But what I did know is that everyone who talked about Chick-fil-A freaking loved the place and said it was like the most happy and um, polite like restaurant they've ever eaten in. And now that I eat it all the time, like I understand what they're talking about. So I was curious about why she hated Chick-fil-A. And she said, oh, it's because they're anti-gay. And then it struck me, you know, this was around the time when I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was an interview or something, but I think the owners, the family that owns Chick-fil-A was asked about their view on gay marriage. And they, of course, said, you know, they did not support gay marriage. They thought that marriage was between a man and a woman. And so it was curious to me that the conclusion that people came to about that was that they were anti-gay. In other words, they just were against gay people in every sense of the word. And it was weird to me that they were attaching a institution within something, you know, an institution like marriage to the community as a whole. And I wondered to myself, like, does the gay community consider themselves like defined by whether or not they are able to, or can legally get married? I'm not saying they, they, you know, I understand that they would want to be married. I understand the rights that are afforded to people who are married. And so, you know, I am no way shocked that the desire is there. But I mean, do you see what I'm getting at here? Like it, why is it that we define ourselves or demand that we define a whole group of people um, by an institution that the government sets up around it? That's in essence what marriage is. It's a contract with the government. It's a government okaying your giving approval to your bond and sponsoring that bond between you and another person. And so I'm like of the type that thinks that you could separate the two. You could separate the idea of marriage from the actual group itself. I mean, I've heard people say that regular marriage shouldn't exist for anybody. Does that mean I think that they're anti-heterosexual? No, it's that, that's dumb, right? And no one would ever think that. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. We're talking about an institution outside of things. So then it gets to the second question of, you know, why? Why, why is there a force that is against or cannot fathom marriage being anything besides between a man and a woman? And I get this question a lot because I'm a Catholic and we know what the Catholic teaching is. And so I guess... What disappoints me about this debate is that there's never room to discuss it rationally, right? There's always, you know, the approach of if you are against it and the person you're speaking with um, knows you are, they are starting that discussion or that debate with you from the position of they believe you're hateful. And I think that society would be better served if we stopped attaching those assumptions to people based on a single opinion, especially when that thing that we're talking about is in essence just a government mandate or a government sponsorship of something, a government approval. Um, like I said, I'm a Catholic. So if the state had come to me at some point 
and said, hey, we don't recognize your marriage to your wife anymore. I got married almost, it'll be five years ago in June. If the government came to me and said, we don't recognize that anymore, I would say, I don't give a shit because it means nothing to me on the government side of things. I don't get married for government approval. I got government approval because I kind of had to for tax purposes. Um, you know, and you need a license to get married in New York. And then we had to apply and that's it, right? Like anybody else does. But I don't give a shit if the government like approves of it or says yes. In my mind, that's between me and my wife and God, because that's what it is. Marriage is a sacrament to Catholics. The second part of that is there's a purpose to marriage, and it's not just love between man and woman or husband and wife. There is a very strict purpose to marriage and a order. And that by that I mean a command. We believe that you are commanded to open your life to the creation of new life. So the reason why a Catholic, in spite of the soft words about it from the Pope, and I'll get to that in a couple minutes, a reason why an actual Catholic, a practicing Catholic, cannot in, in reality or in, in their faith support this type of thing, it's because marriage outside of a natural marriage between man and woman to naturally create life is non-existent. The debate opens up because we speak about these issues all the time. It's a very diverse country, and you know, a Catholic might be talking about this with a non-Catholic, and so you're going to have these types of conversations. But no matter how the conversation is framed, you have to understand on the Catholic side, the Catholic opinion is that those marriages don't exist. The concept is not real. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to walk around with our Bibles and tell people that their marriage isn't real. We understand that the government has a position on it, and that is one of non-support for a religion, right? And that's kind of how it's supposed to be. Um, so, of course, we could take we could separate our opinion from that and understand that there's going to be married folks out there who are two men or two women, whatever. And that's fine. It's not something that we walk around groveling about. But if you're going to come to us and ask, and you're going to say, why, 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 why? We're just going to give you what the teaching is. We didn't start that. It's a completely science-based teaching. Not to say that homosexuals, gay men and women, or gay, gay men and lesbian women don't love each other, but there is a basis for the Catholic belief, and that is that man and woman come together to create life, and that's it. It's completely rooted in the biology and the creation of man, man being mankind. It's not a cause for hate. Um, you know, Pope Francis, I think, is a uh, very soft-spoken, kind person. But the reality is, is that Pope Francis hasn't changed doctrine or described or explained anything about the Catholic position on gay marriage differently than the last two popes have. It's the exact same message. You are called it is demanded of you to not hate, to welcome anybody, any sinner, that includes me, we're all sinners, into the church. The rules that actually command us or define what marriage is or say, or what, what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, the rules that actually would label something like a homosexual relationship as wrong in the eyes of the church are actually the same rules that apply to heterosexual couples, right? You're not supposed to have sex unless you have a marriage, right? You're supposed to wait. I get that doesn't happen. This is the real world, right? 
but not waiting is a sin. So the teaching in Catholicism is that gay people can completely be a part of the church. It's not demanded of you to be straight, to be part of the church. That being said, what is demanded of you is to abstain from sex until marriage. And if you're not in a relationship between a man and a woman, that marriage cannot exist. I understand it's kind of like this, you know, there's no way around it, right? You're kind of just screwed no matter what, you know, what door you pick, right? If you're if you're not a heterosexual man or woman, but that's the teaching. And that's because it's about more than the feelings between two people. It's more than you. It's more than me. It's greater. It's bigger than all of us down here on earth, right? And it's for a greater purpose, which is the persistence and the existence of mankind. So in a way, it's humbling. What I hate is that this conversation gets immediately snuffed out with the accusations of people being hateful. I get, I get that those people exist. You know, there's crazies in every denomination of religion. But what Catholicism actually is, is the tame explanation. That's the tame version. But the rules aren't changing for people because times are changing. A religion that does that isn't much of a religion at all. It's weak. And so, I mean, I, I support, in theory, the idea, because I believe that the natural evolution of mankind is a beautiful thing. But at the same time, I'm able to separate myself from it and understand that people won't live their life like that. People won't agree. The folks that I know who are gay or lesbian, when there's plenty of those, you know, I'm from New York City. I've lived in California for a couple of years. I was in the army. I met a lot of different people. I know a lot of people from different backgrounds and cultures. And I wish them more than happiness in their lives. So it's not like this like thing where on the downline, like that's not real. Like it's just, that's not how I approach it. But please, if you come at someone and ask them their opinion and they give you an honest answer from the heart about what they are compelled to believe, trust that that's coming from a good place, not a hateful place. You know, we live in a world where we're very me focused, me centered. Social media has just ramped up that desire to satisfy your own urges and your and indulge in the uh, the rush things. You know that brings you when you feel like everything's looking at you and people are clicking like on your pictures and it's me, 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 me. We need more things that force people to remove themselves from being the center remove them from being what they see as the reason for anything, right? Humanity doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist for me. I've seen in the last couple of weeks, well, more than that, but I, th in the last couple of years, I've seen an uptick in people using this phrase, um, my truth, right? My lived experience. That's bullshit. You don't have a your truth. You exist in something as a little speck. I do too. We are all equally almost nothing. And it's the sum of those billions of nothings that makes it something special. If you're going to require us to confirm and accept whatever makes you different, you have to accept what makes someone that you're opposing in debate different too. It has to be a two-way street. Otherwise, there's nowhere to go. And so I like to 
link this or link this subject to the study of Catholicism or talk about the theological side of things because one, I don't talk about it very often. Two, I'm pretty private when it comes to my own religious beliefs. Um, and three, I think you know Catholics tend to get lumped in with some of the more extreme folks, uh, like the people who stand on the street with signs talking about eternal damnation and condemnation for the LGBTQ. Like that's not a Catholic thing. That's not what we do. That's not what our belief is. You know. Everyone is capable of living rightly in the eyes of God. And we're going to debate some topics around that. There's even debates within the church that are considered things that are up for debate. But I got to tell you, there's no debate that's going to be had on this one. It just, it, it's not possible with the way the rules, for lack of a better term, the rules are set up within the religion. If someone within the church is going to try and tell you that that's changing or it should change, they are significantly defying the belief behind Catholicism as a whole. The other one, the other issue that often comes up kind of tied to this with a similar level of controversy and, and anger between sides is abortion. And, you know, that one too is one that tends to bring ire or draw ire from people against Catholics. I'll refrain from kind of going on the, I mean, it, it, people know why Catholics are against it. They think that all life is sacred, that life begins at conception, and that you cannot um, ever, for any reason, um, violate that that rule. I mean, most people don't realize this, but technically, technically, and I get, you know, it's, I don't know many people who have this position, but technically, by the church's eyes, abortion, even in the rape, in the, in the case of rape or incest is also wrong, as understandable as it might be. And why is that? That's because the focus is entirely on the innocent being, the unborn child. It's not about the mother. It's not about the situation that surrounds it. Yes, that goes without saying, or it goes without saying that a child can be conceived at times under incredibly horrific circumstances. And I don't actually know um, myself how to take a position that would ever question someone's decision to have an abortion if they became pregnant as a result of rape or incest. I just, I couldn't, I don't think I could do it. But I could understand that there is this wall there because regardless of how terrible the situation was that preceded, the, preceded it, preceded the, a, a child, that child is still removed from that. They are the innocent. And you protect that no matter what. Generally speaking, when that, that position is, is espoused by us Catholics, we spin off into a couple of different discussions about, or kind of like gotchas, you know, from typically people on the left, but not always. Um, but anybody who is a, a pro-choice person. Um, and there are ways to kind of try and say, oh, but you know, you Catholics are being the hypocritical ones, or this is where you're wrong, which is always funny to, to kind of hear from people who are generally non-believers themselves or the faithless entirely. One of the first things is, is they'll go right to the law, right? Women have the right to choose. And you know, you'd be surprised to, to know that we believe women have a right to choose too. 
and they did choose. They chose to got preg- to get pregnant. That's where the choice happened. Yeah, you might say something really horrific preceded this, right? A rape or an incest, right? That's almost never the case, right? Over 99% of the time, an abortion is done voluntarily for reasons that are not related to health or the psychological trauma of some kind of abuse or rape or anything worse. It is generally always just a voluntary procedure, not necessary for any medical reasoning whatsoever. But if you want to talk about choice, the choice was made when you chose to have sex. That's when the choice occurred. We are very pro-choice. If you used contraception and that contraception failed, you might say, this pregnancy was an accident. That's false. You chose. You chose to assume the risk, no matter how microscopic and small. You chose to have sex, to participate in the act that could lead to a child. It sounds heart, heartless and callous, and yeah, it's understandable. Some people are going to do this at a young age, and not they won't be ready. They'll be far from ready, and they're going to fail. They might fail to the point where they don't even get to keep the child after, you know, some time. They may have lived the most horrific life. But there are options. There are options. A lot of people want to adopt. And that's the second thing. That's the second way that people usually come at Catholics. They claim that no one wants to adopt children. And that's not true. There's something like 30 or 40 waiting families waiting to adopt children at any given time. Yeah, there's a process. Yeah, there's a lot of checking involved in that. But when you look at the numbers of people who just resort to abortion instead of going through with with it and maybe giving that child up for adoption or just trying, trying to be a parent, it is very clear that we have significantly devalued the essence of humanity the potential that human life brings. Would I be wrong to say that of the 50, 60, 70 million black children that have been murdered or aborted since abortion became legal, that there couldn't have been, like that there might have been some seriously, seriously like talented and amazing people that could have been found in that group of, of, of individuals? Can you really think about what it is to just throw away 70 million people? Right. I mean, I assume most of these abortions happen at a particularly early point in the pregnancy, right? And you might be quick to say that's not really a human. But I mean, if you found that human on another planet, that fetus on another planet, you wouldn't say it's just a clump of cells. You wouldn't say it's meaningless. You would say it's the beginning of life. It's the potential of life. I mean, to callously throw that away is inhumane. That'll always be the church's position. It's not negotiable. The difference with people who have been born and have been around a while, which the church helps tremendously through various missions and and drives and, and shelters, But the difference is most people that have grown and lived aren't that innocent creature anymore. They've made decisions in their life. Yes, 
the church teaches you not to judge and you try to help what you can and how you can. But there are limits to how you can do that on a big scale. To turn your back on something just because you've deemed it to be almost parasitic in nature and not worthy of the respect of human life, that's way worse than doing it to someone who's been out here for for years already and has already made their their mark on the world and is likely in the position they're in because of the decisions they've made. That's a huge difference. It might be controversial, but I would reckon that most people, whether it's whether they're living a good life or a bad life, are in that position directly because of the choices they made. Doesn't make them a bad person or a good person per se. A lot of bad people become very successful and and content with life. A lot of very good people get dealt a bad hand. But generally speaking, that's the result of our actions. You can't separate the potential of life, the innocence of a child in the womb. You can't remove that and consider it as something almost not human at all. You're treating it like an alien. And that's not what it is. It's just not. So I mentioned another concept within this before, which is that the teaching in Catholicism is that man and woman come together to make um, a child naturally. And, you know, I, I wouldn't claim that, let's say that my wife and I had trouble um, having kids, which we didn't. Our twins are natural twins. Um, you know, I would never deny myself a chance at being a parent through some type of medical procedure, insemination or IVF or whatever the alternatives are. But the church's teaching is that that's not actually viable, that it's not good. And this is where I you know, say to myself, how could I ever align myself or accept that if I was put in that situation? And the church doesn't do it to hate. They don't do it to say your child is going to be soulless. But it's a rule of what the natural order of life is to be. And that's in spite of the medical advances that enable that joy for people in the meantime. It doesn't matter what the medical system or uh, advances in the field of medicine create or do. Your duty is to live your life in accordance with the natural laws of God, right? And that's what you're supposed to do. Remove Catholicism from the situation for a second. Remove uppercase G God entirely. But just think about how little and microscopic earth is, just a little blue dot, like one grain of sand. And you know the rest of eternity is just the second grain of sand over. And then think about how many of those pairings of sand are on a beach. And then multiply that by infinity and, you know, and et cetera, go on and on and on. That's how little we are. For things to have been ordered as they are on earth, for intelligence to be what it is, for humanity to become what it is, I think it's kind of hard to remove some type of intelligent being behind it. Call it God, call it Mother Nature, call it something. 
But at the very least, I imagine or believe it to be something beyond that what we can perceive or know here on Earth. If humans can only use 12% of their brains or whatever it is, and if science is always understanding and discovering new things, you know, you could say that we're always just looking at a sliver, a fraction of a percentage of what there is to know. And maybe we'll never even know what the rest of that looks like. And when we get to a point where we think we've done it, we'll have to be humble enough to put ourselves in the place to say, you know what? We know this much, and the whole of it is this much times infinity. And then we start back at one as that one grain of sand. If I think about it like that, if I think about the world and the universe like that, it's very easy for me. And I had this, I wasn't always a practicing Catholic, by the way. I was kind of agnostic for a while. And if not an atheist for a pretty long time, I was, my father died when I was six. And so I was very put off by the concept of God, right? I was younger, I was immature. And I thought, how could God do this to me and my family? How could God take my dad? But that's, like I said before, I was thinking about me and God isn't here for me. God is everything. It's not me, right? So when I think about God and I think about if there is even a slight chance that this was all created and has come to be and has fallen into place per some kind of order, something, something we will never perceive or even have the ability to perceive, there is no way that we were meant to waste it, that being mankind. There is no way that we were meant to take a personal issue or a personal situation built around an environment that we helped mold and create. There's no way to take that situation and say that because of it, because of that which I helped create, this life is not worth keeping or saving. It's something I can never reconcile. There is no law-based description of this or argument behind this that would make me come to the table. It means nothing to me that there's a law that enables or allows for abortion. Yes, like I said, you know, and then the church provides for this, by the way. They we welcome people who have had abortions to seek refuge within the church, right? To make up for that sin. And it's not what you see on TV or think when you see people on the street praying. It's truly from a position of love for someone who has had to have gone to the very depths of their own soul to make that decision. It feels like people are pretty willy-nilly about it. And of course, some people are. But I'm not convinced that even if someone makes that decision and is relieved about not having a child, that that doesn't impact them for a long time. And I think we've seen enough evidence to know that it does. There's room for, for, to recognize someone's imperfectness in humanity. That doesn't mean we should stop the teaching. That doesn't mean we should stop recognizing and calling out what this is. And we shouldn't talk about this as some kind of forward progress or momentum towards something better when we're just ritualistically tearing down the essence and the bedrock of who we are.
if anything in this world is perfect, and there's very few things I believe are perfect, it's a child. From the most well-behaved to the angriest and meanest and biggest troublemaker to the, from the smartest to the least intelligent, the innocence of a child is something to be protected at all costs, even if it means your own life. Which also explains why if a mother is significantly in danger of having a birth or giving birth to a baby, the Catholic Church's, Church's teaching is that you still go forward. You still try. You pray and you look for that miracle because that's what children are. They're a miracle. I have a little bit of experience in this. Not that doctors told my mother they should abort me. That's not the case. That being said, my mother had four children before me, and I'm an only child today. Two died probably you know, midway through the pregnancy, and two died after birth within the first two weeks of their lives. Things weren't looking good for my mom when she was pregnant with me, and she went through with it, and I wound up being completely healthy, and I was that miracle. I've grown to become a bit of a prick, right? And I've given her a lot of hell over the years, right? But but even so, you know, that was something that presented a risk to her the fifth time, the fifth try. And she did it. There is nothing you could have told my mom that would have dissuaded her from trying. The fact that we are so cold to this, especially in this next generation. It's a, it's a little unnerving. The term slippery slope gets thrown around a lot, but at what point are we going to recognize the depravity of our actions? At what point are we going to recognize that the most precious resource of the earth is something that we have thrown away by the tens of millions without so much as a blink? So much to the point that people will point fingers at those who have a problem with that and call them the hateful ones. I mean, if we are systematically killing something that is human, can't the argument be made that maybe it's you who hate human beings, that hate others? Like the other discussion about gay marriage, this has to go both ways too. And if you want people to believe you and believe that your choice is so important, you've got to understand why that's not getting through to people. And it's not just because someone told us to go be angry about it. It's something that hits as deep as it could possibly hit. And that opinion is not bound or tied down by any law or government or Supreme Court case. It exists completely outside of it because what makes humans special, what makes them miracles, and what makes all of this so amazing is that whatever created it had to come from outside of this little sphere. Whether it's some kind of intelligent hand or just a lot of 
good luck with how the elements flew around the the universe and came together and big banged their way to the earth. You know, there's it's it's beyond this, and it's definitely beyond our laws of our little corner of this blue sphere. So I guess it's apt that this message comes on Thanksgiving. I'm thankful to people who have tuned in, of course. But more than that, I'm thankful for people who stick to these principles and uphold them. Who will take being called an extremist over and over and over again without actually being extremist at all. And doing so because they know that their position is one of love, not hate. We know that this position comes from what should be the middle, the starting point for this discussion, and how we shape laws around it as society and as a culture. And we are nowhere near that. So don't let that perverse, distorted reality that's defined by our culture change your principles and change who you are. In spite of us being small and microscopic in the grand scheme of things and just a blip on the line of time, you have managed to tap into what is greater and beyond, beyond anything this earth can ever divulge or make itself, make, make known within itself. You've tapped into the essence of what makes us human beings and what makes us pure and miraculous at the same time. You understand that nothing that this culture dictates changes that. We don't see enough of that. It's something to be celebrated. And that should also translate in how we protect our children from all things, from any predator, from any negative influence that seeks to, from the ground up, change who they are as a whole in the eyes of God or whatever greater thing exists out there looking down. The reason why you can never get through to us, mostly I'm talking to the liberals, is that on these issues, your positions are so far out of bounds that they don't even register on the spectrum. They don't even register in the area of, you know, yeah, we could have some conversations about, you know, the policies that surround these and how we legislate around it in a civilized society. These are things that are the bedrock of natural law and humanity. To violate them is to violate step one. And to get to step two, you have to pass step one. So on this Thanksgiving day, I say happy Thanksgiving. I'm grateful for folks like you who might agree or somewhat agree and or like to talk about this or at the very least respect the differences that we might have here. We are too far removed from a country where those types of disagreements can be had in good faith and the starting points are so far off each other's paths that I fear we might not be able to get back to them. But in the meantime, thanks to you guys out there who are somewhere near me and somewhere near the way it's supposed to be. Thanks.